Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends, just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. What would this market look like if we had a coronavirus vaccine and everything went back to normal? Well, it would look a lot like today with the Dow Jones average skyrocketing 530 points, S&P surging 1.23%, NASDAQ advancing 0.17%, up much more at one point before more saber rattling with China. All sorts of beaten down stocks, though, roared higher, while the COVID-19 winners... Well, they got slammed. There's just one tiny problem with this action. We don't actually have a vaccine. Now, does that mean the stock market is getting ahead of itself? Okay, let's unpack the issue. First, this rally is based not just on the hopes of a vaccine, but on a firm belief that the whole virus problem isn't nearly as dire as we thought. A lot of people feel it's been blown out of proportion by the media, and the president's right, the people feel the president's right, when he says we should open up everything. Betting on a vaccine makes sense. Since the beginning of this pandemic, medical experts have warned us that developing vaccines take a long time. The fastest was the mumps vaccine, which took four years ago. But every day we're bombarded with news about another attempt to end this nightmare. Today we heard that Merck's working on a magic bullet using technology that they developed when they're working on the Ebola vaccine. Everyone got excited. Merck's got a great reputation. The fact that they're getting involved is a pure positive. Meanwhile, we also learned that Novavax has started human trials for its own COVID vaccine. Novavax has already seen its stock soar more than a thousand percent year to date, even though the company's never actually been able to deliver a successful vaccine. So you got Merck, you got Novavax, you got Moderna, Pfizer, Glaxo, Sanofi, Regeneron, J&J, Oxford University, and scores of others. And they're using like great technology that we heard from Jensen Wong on Thursday night from NVIDIA. So you've got a ton of terrific companies that are pouring resources into beating this thing. Plus, they've got much better technology than they had even a decade ago. Think about this. They can sequence the whole coronavirus genome. They can use artificial intelligence to model potential vaccines virtually in order to eliminate dead ends. We didn't have any of that stuff when it took four years to develop the mumps vaccine in the 60s. So the comparison is just not relevant. Time frame. When you have a conservative outfit like J&J talking about the first quarter of 2021 and they also have the ability to be able to produce billions of the vaccine, I believe that things are rolling along nicely. If we can beat this thing early next year, it's huge. But still, we've got to get through the next six months without it. And I don't know about that. Which brings us to the other piece of the puzzle, the reopening. Many Americans simply aren't willing to wait anymore. It's the social distancing stuff. They're like done with that. Outside of the New York metro area, we're not seeing the kind of huge outbreaks that could shut down local health care systems. So people have run out of patience for quarantine, for the mass. Now that the states are reopening, they're hitting the beaches and the bars because the whole thing seems overblown to them. I get where they're coming from. 
but it seemed overblown to us, too, until we hit the tipping point. Maybe they never do. Still, with millions of Americans wanting to go back to normal, that's fueled an incredible rally. This kind of action was unthinkable two months ago when the Dow Jones average crashed to the 18,000 level. Dow's now 25,000, less than 5,000 points away from the all-time high. S&P spent most of the day above 3,000 for the first time since early March. It's like they put Humpty Dumpty back together again. What do investors do? when they're convinced things are going back to normal. Simple, they dump the stay-at-home stocks that were working during the lockdown, as well as the drug stocks. Uh, The COVID workers and winners. Sell, 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 sell. I don't agree with that, though. Then they move into the money. They take all their money. I mean, these are what hedge funds do. Buy, 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 buy. And they go into the COVID losers that can rack up huge gains if they're really on track for a rapid V-shaped recovery. They buy stocks like Southwest Airlines very well. Disney, my trust owns that, or the cruise lines. The cruise industry was obliterated by the pandemic. But those stocks rallied anywhere from 12 to 15 percent today because they're big winners if the world really gets back to normal. I told you I like that Norwegian cruise. Same goes for classic cyclical stocks that thrive in a stronger economy. Think Lowe's, Boeing, Caterpillar, Chevron. All the banks, the banks in particular, have been sticking up the joint for a long time. A fast recovery is fabulous for them. Fewer bad loans. Every cyclical had its day in the Sunday, the steals, the oils, real estate investment trusts that are linked to shopping malls, the freight forwarders, FedEx, and the home builders, which caught fire today for some incredibly strong new home sales for April. Really shocked people. They're supposed to be down about 10 percent. Actually, they were up slightly. Big part of the rally. Anything that relies on tourism screaming higher, like Estee Lauder, which moves a ton of merchandise in duty-free stores, or the casinos, which seemed dead on arrival not that long ago, and now is trying to get them to pack them in. What's happening here is extraordinary. These companies were right smack in the middle of the COVID blast zone, but they were able to access the capital markets that they needed to, thanks to the efforts of Fed Chief Jay Powell. From the moment the Fed said they would buy distressed corporate bonds, by any means necessary, Powell gave business the confidence to tough it out. We've had no major public failures aside from Hertz. That was really a pre-existing balance sheet issue. The new narrative is simple. The recession's ending, and we're looking at a fabulous V-shaped recovery, which brings us to the question, is it true? I think the answer is more complicated, more nuanced. If we don't have a giant outbreak in the states that are aggressively reopening, a big if, then a V-shaped recovery is actually on the table. And if a V is on the table, then you need to own some banks and some cyclicals. But there are other possibilities, which is why I keep stressing that you need what we call a barbell portfolio here, with some recovery winners like the banks or Disney and some recession stocks like the drugs and the foods and the techs that enable you to work from home. I think tech has so many secular themes going for it that you'd be nuts to sell these stocks, especially the semis. When it comes to remote working, the genie is out of the bottle, as you will see it later on in the show. Why not go all in the recovery thesis? Because even though the market's roaring, 38 million people have applied for jobless benefits in the last nine weeks. Until those people get rehired, we're not going back to normal. For now, they're collecting expanded unemployment insurance. Uh, that's an extra $600 a week, but that runs out at the end of July. I think it's been hugely important and really overlooked by the media. By the time that money runs out, we'll need to see an immense amount of hiring. But right now, the only mass hiring we're seeing is from huge retailers like Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Lowe's, and, of course, Amazon the handful of retail winners who benefited from the lockdown. Lots of small, medium-sized businesses are still struggling here, and I'm very worried about the shock to the system when the payroll protection program runs out of money. We want those paychecks protected. That's why I like a barbell portfolio. The future's uncertain. But you don't have to choose if you use the barbell. Your Disney and J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs will protect you if Take-Two and Eli Lilly get hammered and vice versa. Even if they think Take-Two's stock is a terrific buyer, down 10 after that terrific quarter, that usually means it goes down another three or four, it stabilizes and starts going higher. But. 
the bottom line. I may not be totally so, uh, sold on this V. You can't switch directions that fast. Uh, could be more of a U with this much, uh, with this much unemployment. But you've got to marvel, but you see marvel, at the strength we're seeing, especially in housing and airlines, two industries that appeared to be on death's door not too long ago. Let's go to Mike in Michigan. Mike. Hi, Jim. First-time caller. Thank you. Of course. 30-year-old investor here, focused on long plays and growth, business shareholder. Is this stock getting out ahead of itself the last few trading No, days, no, just it- it's going to be a rounding error that it went down, uh, that, it's, uh, that it went down all the way where it is. Okay, it's all the way up to 120. Could, it, stuck, it spent a lot of time in that 120 area before it fell apart a couple years ago. Yeah, look, I, I would buy more if this stock went down to 110. How's that? That's my conviction. Tom in Florida. Tom. Booyah, Professor Kramer. Thank this you. Is Tommy D. This is Tommy D. from sunny Largo, Florida. Wow. Nice. I'm a first-time caller and a long-time listener, and I want to thank you for all that you do for us little guys, even though you've heard that a million times. No, no. Look, I love it. I mean, I'm still working here. I'm still doing this stuff. It's been like, it's like, it's like, it's like 3,000 shows, for heaven's sake. Well, keep up the good work, Thank my you. friend. Thank you. By the way, this is a belated birthday present to me. I just turned 70 years old yesterday, so thank you for taking my call. You're a young man. Let's go to work. Okay. My stock is BJ Wholesale. I want to know what your thoughts. Well, it had a remarkable mm-hmm. quarter. Now, it ran up too much after that quarter. People went nuts. I think people thought they were going to miss the quarter. So I expect the stock to pull back a bit. But not that much because, boy, they blew it out. You're in good company with that one, and happy birthday. Let's go to Josh in Virginia. Josh. Hey, Jim. Thanks for your time. Of course. Uh, I'd like to discuss Corning, ticker GLW. So they have a 4% dividend yield. They have $2 billion in cash and manageable debt. It is an autonomous driving play. They have a 5G partnership with Verizon. But more importantly, the FDA approved a new vial for the first time in, in 100 years this past October, which was made by Corning. Corning's Baylor Glass will, inevit- will inevitably get significant orders for vials because we're facing a massive shortage. What do you think about ticker GLW? I have tired of GLW doing nothing. Tired. Now, it fell apart when, when, uh, cable, when, uh, when fiber went away between 1999 and 2000, made a nice recovery. But I can't look at the stock. It, I can't look at it because... It does nothing. And I want a company that does something. You got to do something and not go down, of course, but, you know, go up a little. Uh-uh. I'm not going with that one down 22% for the year. Pete in Florida. Pete. Hey, Jim. First, I want to thank you. Oh. A, few, a few months ago, I bought Barrett Gold at 18 when you had the CEO on your show. He was went great. went up to 28, and now it's dropped down to 25. Uh, not long ago, Bank America came out. That gold could hit 3,000 an ounce. Should I hold on to Barrick at 25? You bet you hold on. And if that stock goes back to 20, we're going to have Dr. Mark Bristow on because that company is the best gold producer. And I think everyone has to have a gold stock or own some gold. Okay, there's a new narrative. I'm not totally sold on it, but you've got to marvel at today's strength. I'm having it tonight. What's really driving the market beyond what we just talked about? I'm going to give you my take on the action. Then I'm revisiting my COVID-19 index, telling you which companies, well, let's say, are less relevant and which ones need to come in. And with the tax filing deadline now July 15th, how is it doing? I'm going to sit down with the CEO after earnings. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. 
follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today. Now that most of America is open for business, we just need one more thing. Some customers. We need to be clear about what's happening with all the down and out cyclical stocks today that were roaring. I mean, uh, or, or the retailers. I mean, do you think any shopper really is, is going to go back to Kohl's now that they've discovered you can get pretty much everything Kohl's carries online from Amazon? Time for some private label apparel lines. Did PPH suddenly start selling more Tommy Hilfiger and Calvin Klein? And, you know, we like that company. Well, Caterpillar suddenly start getting some big construction orders. Where are they going to come from? Hey, how about planes and hotels? Fully booked? I don't think so. In all these cases, I think the answer is no. And it doesn't matter. These beaten down stocks got so cheap that they can want some modest incremental improvement, as I mentioned at the top of the show. With the shelter in place orders being lifted all over the country, you have to believe that incremental improvement is what they're going to get. Coles may not be doing well, but they're doing better than they were when they were closed. The other positive, the Federal Reserve and the Treasury Department have pumped trillions, not billions, trillions of dollars in this economy via expanded unemployment benefits, $1,200 checks, financing for troubled businesses, and forgivable loans for smaller enterprises that agree not to fire anyone. That assistance really helps. But at the end of the day, we always seem to forget we are in a recession. V-U-L. It's a recession. And in a recession, people spend less, either because they don't have enough money or because they're worried about not having enough money. Right now, that's being mitigated by expanded unemployment insurance. It's an extra $600 a week. But those additional benefits expire at the end of July. I think Congress needs to extend them because there are so many people that simply won't be able to make it in this new world of social distancing. The idea that we can reopen the economy and all these jobs just comes back. I don't know. It strikes me as way too optimistic. We had 38 million jobless claims in the last nine weeks. 38 million. Even if most of those people got their jobs back or find new jobs, that still represents a massive surge in unemployment. And honestly, I'm betting many employers will be reluctant to hire, and others simply won't be employers anymore because they won't exist. This recession has been fabulous for e-commerce. It's been horrible for brick-and-mortar retailers that historically employ millions of people. It's really bad for the little person. And that's why I keep saying we need another stimulus bill. Restaurants are going under left and right. Big retail chains are declaring bankruptcy. Without more government assistance for these businesses, there simply won't be enough jobs to go around. And the stock market masked that. So we need another rescue package if we want to get out of this recession as swiftly as possible. That's the only surefire way to make it happen. Of course, there's always the long shot solution that just might work. And that was really a lot of what today was about. If we get a vaccine much faster than anyone expected, then all bets are off and business does come roaring back. That would be sensational. 
Personally, I think it's very unlikely. But this belief in a vaccine and, of course, the power of the reopenings around the country is what drove today's rally. It's all about the idea that one of these 100 plus attempts to beat COVID-19 pays off sooner than expected or that maybe the virus isn't as dangerous as we thought, though, as a New Yorker, I'm telling you that's wrong. I say don't hold your breath here. And remember, all these reopenings don't mean very much if there aren't any customers. Maybe I'm being a tad too pessimistic here. But without more government assistance or a miraculous vaccine, I'm betting this economy is going to have some serious demand problems. And that will cause some real disruption in the don't worry, be happy stocks that roared today. Stay with Kramer. A month ago, we dreamed up the Kramer COVID-19 index, a list of 100 stocks that seemed perfectly positioned for the pandemic economy. We created the index over the weekend of April 25th and debuted it on air the following Monday. So how's it done? Well, April 24th to May 22nd, COVID index first four weeks performed pretty well, but could be better. In those last four weeks, the Kramer COVID-19 index gained 96.5%, trouncing the Dow Jones Industrials up 2.9%, and the SP 500 up 4.2%. It's good to be beating the two most important benchmarks. Unfortunately, our COVID index is now trailing both the NASDAQ composite, which is up 8 percent, and the NASDAQ 100, which is up 7.1 percent. While our index has plenty of tech, it doesn't have as much tech as the NASDAQ, and tech's been on fire. In addition, over the past week, our COVID-19 index has fallen behind the small cap Russell 2000, which is up nearly 10 percent in the past four weeks. That's incredible. That whole gain came in the period from uh, May 13th to May 22nd. Russell exploded higher. That really wasn't something I anticipated. Got that wrong. I figured this would be a tough period for smaller companies. That's truly changing since we started getting some positive news on the vaccine front. As we reopen the economy, many of these smaller operators are getting to be in better shape, certainly better shape than a lot of the economists said they would be. And that's why after the first four weeks, I wanted to review the COVID-19 index performers in more detail and then make some adjustments. Because the whole point of this list is to be a distillation of what's working right now. When you break the Kramer COVID-19 index down by sector, the best performing group is the financials that work, up 22%. Cloud software comes in second, up 18%, a little weaker today. Behind those, you got the semiconductors and the exotics. The semiconductors, some China, some not. A catch-all category for uh, the exotics is a bunch of weird companies, both up 11. Then we've got high single-digit gains in the beverage stocks, e-commerce, gaming, home entertainment, mega-cap tech, regular tech, and the restaurant survivors, the ones with enough digital exposure to thrive here. On the weaker end of the spectrum, the retail survivors were only up 1.5%. The biggest underperformers, though, the safety stocks with big dividends. Consumer packaged goods plays, packaged food utilities, and the more defensive real estate investment trusts were all in negative territory. It seems to think that people don't think we're going into recession. The weirdest group, healthcare. We put 20 healthcare stocks in the Kramer COVID-19 index, making it the largest sector by far in this equal weighted index. And on average, the healthcare stocks were flat. But that average has a ton of, of, of variability. We've had some huge winners. Dexcom, yeah, that's the, the diabetes, uh, their glucose monitor. Uh, that surged 22%. Massimo pulled more than 18%. I check my blood oximeter every day. Avi rallied 10%. That's the close of the Allergan deal. Then some middling performers like Perigo, Thermo Fisher, Zoetis, a bunch of names that were pretty much flat. Regeneron, Pfizer, Res, ResMed, uh, United Health Group. And by the way, I think Regeneron's a real buy on that print at the end of the day here. That, that's, the, that's the selling of Sanofi. Then a series of losers with the worst performance are some of the best American companies. Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, Gilead, Centene, and Beckton Dickinson. Ladders down almost 11%. 
I think it's no coincidence that some of the weakest performers in healthcare are also the most defensive. Market lost interest in well-run, big pharma plays with bountiful dividends like J&J or Eli Lilly. Shame on the market, but that's what happened. For the whole index, the best performers should come should have come as much of a surprise. You got Peloton because their machines are essential if you can't go to the gym. You got Livongo Health, which is like a digital personal health company. Coupa Software. So these stocks were really bad down today because these are all new economy. Cloud-based platform that helps businesses handle expense management. Huge in an environment where millions of people want to get reimbursed for uh, for setting up their home offices. Spotify snuck on there because it's rolling up the podcasting business. Moderna, because they're leading the pack on developing coronavirus. Uh, by the way, those who are low Moderna, remember, there was a lot of other companies like Merck that came into play here. That's why it's down. Square, Shopify, which got hammered today because that's a, that's a stay-at-home play. It facilitates e-commerce. You get the picture. The worst performers that I mentioned before were generally recession stocks, the kind of names Wall Street loves when we're worried about a horrific economy, which you think it would be with 38 million people unemployed. As I said at the top of the show, the market's gotten more confident. We'll have a speedy V-shaped recovery. Witness today's terrific run. Boy, no one thought that 10 days ago. And that makes the recession stocks less attractive. So here's the big question. Is the Kramer COVID index in danger of being left behind as America reopens for business? In the last couple of weeks, investors have been swapping out of the lockdown stocks and swapping into the beaten down recovery place. If that trend continues... And maybe it was near the end of it today because it was pretty vicious. Then our index would be too defensive. But I got to tell you, I think it's too soon for it to give up on the recession stocks. As much as I hope we'll have a rapid recovery while, while America swiftly gets back to normal, it's tough to bet on. I'm worried the recovery will take longer than the bulls expect. And uh, you know, maybe a U, not a V. More importantly, there are just so many ways it can be derailed, particularly by the problems of the many small businesses that are currently on the government life support. We've been on a better trajectory with the virus. But if we see a bunch of big outbreaks as the economy reopens, well, that is going to hurt. If there's a second wave of infection, that's going to hurt. I know there hasn't been. And I am thrilled. OK, if there's any bad news on the vaccine front, that's really going to hurt. That's why I want to keep most of our uh, defensive exposure. Don't want to get rid of it all. You need to be protected in case something goes wrong. That said, I think we can prove on the relevancy of the index. We have to take Look, we put it together, 100 stocks. We have to take where that make it better. Hey, listen, the S&P does that with its rebalancings. I am dropping 10 of the worst performers and replacing them with stocks that are better suited to this moment and more relevant. So we're going to drop Beckton Dickinson, Digital Realty, Fresh Pet, Innovio Pharmaceuticals, Insego, Kimberly-Clark, Next Year Energy, Owens & Minor. We had them on, Little Small, Roku, and Snap. Some of these are duplicative. You don't need both Beckton Dickinson and Baxter when they're both out of front. Hey, you don't need both Fresh Pet and Chewy. You don't need a not-so-hot vaccine play like Innovio when you've got a real good one like Moderna. Ten replacements. Okay, first I want Datadog. Don't laugh. This they had the biggest beat of all tech com- uh, tech companies. Biggest one, and then Splunk. Great number last week. These are two digital content performance monitoring and analytics plays that should have been in the index from the start. Companies need a flawless web presence right now, and these two make that possible, which is why they've got they had such good quarters. Third is Twilio. Uh, it's doubled, I know. It's another cloud software play. Twilio helps app developers handle communications with the customers, and it's in fabulous shape. Another one that should have been in on the index from the get-go, but they had a previous couple bad quarters, so I thought that there might be too much weakness. Fourth and fifth are e-commerce facilitators, Etsy and Wix, Wix.com. I think the future of small business belongs to sole proprietors operating on the Internet. Etsy gives them a platform to sell their goods. Wix helps them build their better websites. They're both essential. Our bad for leaving these out. Hey, speaking of our bad for leaving some out, six is Chegg. On-demand, interconnected learning platform. When back-to-school season comes along, and I think it will, many colleges will keep holding classes online, and that's where Chegg comes in. 
They can help students and schools save a fortune. Seven is Target. This is an obvious retail uh, survivor. Even though the stock got slammed when the company reported last week, I thought CEO Brian Cornell told a great story when we spoke to him on Thursday night. Target's a long-term winner here. The market is wrong, I think, on Target. And I know that's a tough thing to say. You're never supposed to say that. But I've been saying that about Target ever since Brian Cornell got in there. Eighth edition is S&P Global. Doug Peterson makes most of its money as a ratings agency. There have been so many bond offerings lately that s and making a killing, as we know, when we had them on recently. Ninth is Palo Alto. They were on last week. And, boy, they told a great story. With so many people working remotely, cybersecurity is on fire. Palo Alto is the industry leader now. It just reported a phenomenal quarter. Some would dispute that leadership, including CrowdStrike. Uh, but it was a good quarter from PANW. Finally, there's Emergent Biosolutions, which is a vaccine play, but it also has a contract manufacturing business, meaning whoever comes up with a COVID vaccine, they'll likely use Emergent to help manufacture Remember, JJ's partner. Bottom line, uh, with those 10 changes, I'm feeling better about the Kramer COVID-19 index. But this is a very big but. If the reopening goes smoothly and the economy comes roaring back, we're going to need demand in the whole index to swap into a totally different cohort of recovery stocks. See, I don't think we're there yet, although I'm working on a separate index so that we'll be ready when it happens. Let's go to Robert in Kansas. Robert. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, How's Robert. Going? What's going on? All right, so my question is about Dollar Journal, Jim. So knowing that Dollar Journal is a strong consumer defensive company to own during to own during times of a high unemployment and recessions, they have also been in estimates consistently during 2019. Do you think there'll be estimates again Thursday? And is it time to buy some more Dollar right. Journal? Here's what I'm going to tell you. When, when Dollar General reports, the stock tends to go down. I mean, I've seen it more than not go down like four, five, six points. And people then Todd Bezos, who's the fabulous CEO, talks and people realize, well, what am I doing? I threw it away and, and I knew buyers come in. So why don't you wait to see the quarter? How about Rick in New Jersey? Rick. Hi, Jim. This is Rick from New Jersey. My question is on British Petroleum, BP. I bought it at 22 when the oil prices were really low. Since then, the oil prices have more than doubled, and yet the oil stocks, all of them, are still down. What do you think? Nobody believes, and that's usually pretty good, nobody believes, except for, for Chevron, I believe, there. Um, like, for instance, people tell me that BP's going to cut its dividend. They just raise the dividend. But I'm not a, uh, a proselytizer for the oil stocks. When people ask me what to buy, I always say you can buy Parsley, you can buy Pioneer, you can buy Diamondback, you can buy EOG, or you can buy Chevron. There. That's my complete list. Don't deviate. All right, I'm feeling pretty good about the updated Kramer COVID-19 index. But if the economy comes roaring back and we get the V, well, you know, look, what can I tell you? This is anti-V, all right? I like a barbell. You, you heard me say that at the top of the show. Now, there's much more mad money ahead. Can Intuit ride out the COVID-19 economic shock? I'm sitting down with the CEO after earnings to see how the company's doing. You know, I've loved that company for a long time. Then COVID-19 impacts everything, including the farm bell. I'm talking to the CEO of Corteva. Yes, that's that DuPont Dow spinoff. Find out how he's positioning himself. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. Well, the stock market's roaring here now. I'm still concerned about the kind of small and medium-sized businesses that 
don't have publicly traded stocks. That's why tonight I am so glad to take the pulse of these businesses with a fantastic company into it. The financial technology company, you know, it's QuickBooks. We're customers at our restaurants, Mint and TurboTax. Last Thursday, Intuit reported an understandably not so hot quarter, mostly because the IRS delayed the deadline for filing taxes this year. Yet, despite the disappointment, the stock barely got dinged. In fact, most analysts raised their estimates. At this point, Intuit's now made up of most of the ground, made up most of the ground at loss when the market crashed in February and March. Its stock is painting a pretty bullish picture, even as the landscape for small, medium-sized businesses customers seems pretty rough. Let's find out. So let's take a closer look with Susan Gadarzi. He is the president and CEO of Intuit. Get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Gadarzi, welcome to Mad Money. Jim, thank you so much for having me. Okay, so you have an extraordinary thing. We have been working about how Zoom has changed things, about Teladoc has changed things. Intuit was ready for the virtual shift in this country, wasn't it? You know, uh, we are so delighted uh, to uh, have been have the opportunity to build on the foundation of being ready for this uh, virtual world, as you know, because I hear you talk about it on your show. There's just a massive shift to a virtual world, whether it's education, whether it's medical, uh, whether it's home fitness, uh, and even when it comes to taxes and bookkeeping and, uh, and handling your small business, folks are moving to a virtual world. So we're very fortunate to be ready for that with our TurboTax and QuickBooks Live platform. Now, uh, can you tell us we are concerned because we're uh, we talked to the Treasury Secretary Mnuchin and we know from a lot of companies that uh, smaller business does not have the ability to get as much capital as larger. How do you feel about the state of small, medium sized business if we do reopen the country right now? You know, well, first of all, uh, we feel for small businesses just to set context. You know, we primarily uh, serve small businesses between one uh, to 10 employees. And we've just made an entry into small businesses that are between 10 uh, to 100 employees. And, you know, these are small businesses that are really the heartbeat, heartbeat of America. Uh, they normally have up to about eight weeks of cash. They're fighters, they're dreamers. Uh, and this environment has dramatically impacted them. And of course, what matters most is uh, health and safety. Uh, but as long as we open up the country in a very uh, safe way, uh, I think they are ready uh, to deliver for their customers. And many of them have actually changed their business models to be able to work in this uh, virtual world. And we are just very much inspired by their passion uh, and their compassion. I know you have uh, a similar program to Square where you basically can give advances to companies. But that with the economy so bad, I imagine you had to pull some of these lines that it's not a great uh, time for some industries uh, because of the health and safety rules or because the boutique nature. You know, we've had to be, of course, much more thoughtful because uh, we don't want the small businesses to get in trouble not being able to pay their loans back. Now, we've invested in this machine uh, learning platform uh, for about four to five years, and we leverage about 26 billion data sources that's always crunching numbers. And so we know very well based on all your money coming in and money going out, what your capacity is, what you can afford, uh, the credit worthiness of your customers. And so we have had to tighten up a little bit, uh, but we've also okay. been really leveraging our machine learning capabilities to still do good by our customers. OK, so one of our producers says, oh, we've got Intuit on. You've got to tell him how someone hacked my account, my checking account, uh, my PayPal account, and that you... Um, with Credit Karma, it's not you yet, 
flagged it and got it stopped. And he just could not say enough good things about Credit Karma. Now, I am not as familiar with it other than the fact because I know the deal hasn't closed. But it does sound like it's a much larger total addressable market than what you currently have. It is, Jim. I'll tell you, first of all, I'll start with why uh, we were so interested in Credit Karma. We set a goal about a year and a half ago uh, to double household savings rate for anybody that's on our platform. Uh, and we, wanna, we wanted to really play a role that goes far beyond taxes. We wanted to really be the financial assistant in your pocket. Uh, and with Credit Karma, we're not going to be able to connect customers to financial products that are right for them. We're an agnostic platform, help them save money, get out of debt. And you know, they have 100 million plus customers, almost 40 million uh, monthly active. And we're going to now be able to reach customers in ways that we couldn't before. And so I'm delighted your producer uh, found it helpful. And we just could not be more excited uh, to help customers save more money with Credit Karma. Can you talk about how I thought this was great? If you had some people wanted to visit in the old days, uh, pre, let's say pre-pandemic, actually, they like to go visit a person in the new world. I don't want to go to that office. I want to do it virtual. Brick and mortar is very hard right now, isn't it, for your competitor? You know, it is. I mean, if you think about two things that are converging, one, uh, folks that were born after the smartphone, they want to do everything on their smartphone uh, and they're less privy to go to physical locations. And then when uh, you look at this unfortunate uh, pandemic, I think it's just uh, sped up everything five plus years where folks want to be able to do things online. They want to be able to engage an expert online, both to get their taxes done, but also we're seeing the same thing with small businesses where they want to connect to a bookkeeper uh, in a virtual world, exchange documents in a virtual world. So I think the whole world has sped up about five years to be able to do things online, engage online. And I think in the long term, it's going to be good for the globe. But of course, we need to get through the current environment in a very safe way. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you that it sped it up. But um, they, uh, Nadella said the same thing at Microsoft. He said, but he he was saying a couple of years. I, I think you're absolutely right. It's really pulled forward. The last thing I find so dis, uh, troubling is the amount of credit card debt and the 50 percent of Americans that live paycheck to paycheck? Yeah, I'll tell you, it's incredible. It's one of the reasons why we were so excited to come together with Credit Karma, uh, because now with 100 million plus customers that they serve, we can actually give you early access you know, to your paycheck. You know, There's 23 million Americans that go to payday loans just to get access to their paycheck That's- on a Wednesday, money that they're going to get Friday because they don't have the money. And we just uh- we need to play a very important role to help educate folks on financial health and ensure that they make the right choices and the right decisions. Wow. It's always you, you count your lucky stars that we have good jobs. Yeah. Well, anyway, that's Susan Godarzi and Mr. Godarzi is CEO of Intuit, which, you know, is a company we've liked for several hundred points. And I think this company is the winner in this segment. And I, I just am very excited about Intuit. Always have been. Man Bunny's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy. Time for the light round. Let's start with Quentin in Georgia. Quentin. Jim, thanks so much for taking my call. My pleasure. Um, I wanted to take a, uh, just a second to wish my wonderful wife, Beth, a happy 38th birthday. Um, Beth, happy 38th. 
All right. I appreciate it, Jim. Uh, I wanted to get your take on uh, uh, Newell uh, brand. Uh, well, you're bottom fishing, and, and bottom fisher can make a couple of bucks, but I like quality. And uh, Newell Brands is not high quality. It does not have a great balance sheet. Let's go to Terry in Nevada. Terry. Jim, thank you for taking my call. Of course. I hope you and your family are doing well. Oh, yeah. I'm calling about Caesars Entertainment. This seems to be coming off its lows, and I'd like to know your opinion on it. And- you know, look, I, I like, I've said it. I like Penn National Gaming, okay? That's my one. I think that that has that great national pastiche without worrying about China. Let's go to Peter in New Jersey. Peter. Oh, yeah, Jim. I oh, love yeah. your show. Thank you. Yes, uh, Jim, I have a question. Uh, I'd like to have your opinion on a company that... Uh, is backed by Bill Gates and D.E. Shaw that uses AI to recognize if a drug will be viable for biotech companies. Mm-hmm. And it's called SDGR. Yeah, we like this one. Uh, for the same reason, one of the reasons why we like uh, NVIDIA. I mean, it's just a very, very smart company. I think you're, I think it's a great spec, though. I don't want to get any more than that. All right, let's go to Alan in Oklahoma. Alan! Hi, Jim. Hi, about Stock SPT, Stock Social. I have done well with it so far. Do I hold it, buy more, or sell? We got to look into that. I've been watching that stock go up, and I keep thinking, all right, I got to find out what the heck this thing is. So my bad that I don't know it, but I promise we'll get back. Let's go to Philip in Iowa. Philip. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I wanted to uh, ask you about uh, Norton LifeLock. In the last week, they posted the beat, or not in the last week, in the last couple of weeks, posted the beat on the top and bottom line, agreed to buy back $625 million in shares, were upgraded by various Wall Street firms, reaffirmed guidance, and they also have a business model that's very well suited for uh, consumers moving out. Well, look, I, I happen to think the world of Norton LifeLock, you know, it was pretty much set up by Rick Hill. And uh, he's got Vincent Pallette in there, who's the chief executive officer, who's sensational. I think this is an undervalued stock, and it should be bought. And we've had so many guests, I haven't had a chance to be able to detail exactly why I like that stock, but I like it very much. John in California. John. Booyah, Kramer. Booyah. First time calls to San Jose, California, but I've been watching you and following you all the way back to the days of guest hosting on Squawk. with The late, great Mark Haynes. Yep. And I just wanted to say a quick thank you. You've taught me so much as an investor. I, I've learned so much from thank the you. show and your books. It's been a. It, I, uh, I can't you're very you kind. Enough. Thank you. So I got a pretty well diversified barbell portfolio, but a little house obtained with canopy growth. Canopy is the most fun. legit of all the cannabis stocks with terrific management. It's the only one that I have felt can triumph over this crazy period. Now, we do have a lot of short squeezes going on in the group. Uh, that's not unusual, uh, but that is the most legit one in the group. Let's go to Jason in New York. Jason. Booyah, Jim. Jason. This is Jason calling from Austin, New York. Hey, Jim, with all the talk of meat shortages and the rumblings of these guys possibly getting into McDonald's, is now the time to buy into this potential monster stock beyond me? Okay, now th- this thing literally just doubled. Uh, I am deeply committed to it. And Ethan Brown, I think it's terrific. If I say yes, buy it, and it goes down 10, you should not be surprised. It is a wild trader. Could it go down 15? Yes. Do I believe in it long term? Probably more than almost any stock that we talk about. John in California. John. Yeah, from the Bay Area on the left coast. Perfect. Hey, cheers, Florence. 
STG. That thing worked its way all the way back. You know, the Flash Enterprise Array, they had the best technology. Others came in. It's all the way back. Pretty good. I got to say, it's pretty good. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. As the world gradually reopens for business, uh, what's it all mean for the agriculture industry? Consider the case of Corteva. That's the agri-science company that was created when Dow Chemical and DuPont merged with their ag divisions and then spun them off as a separate company roughly a year ago. This is a stock that caught fire late last year when the Trump administration reached a preliminary trade agreement with China that included some fabulous goodies for the ag industry. But then the pandemic hit, and from late February through late March, the stock plunged from the low 30s to just 20 bucks. Though since then, it's rebounded to nearly 26. So how's Corteva doing? Earlier this month, the company reported some fabulous numbers, terrific sales, great earnings beat. But they also gave some cautious commentary. They warned of looming currency headwinds, crop price uncertainty, and a potential global recession. Thanks to the uncertainty, they declined to give forward guidance. After rallying right out of the gate, the stock stumbled on that commentary. But it came roaring back lately now that Wall Street's getting excited about the recovery. And that's why Cortepa rallied an astonishing 4.5% today. Can it keep climbing? Let's check in with Jim Collins, the CEO of Corteva, learn more about how his company's doing and where it's headed. Mr. Collins, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, great, Jim. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been uh, almost a year uh, since we talked last, uh, back in June of 2019, when we launched uh, Corteva uh, as a publicly traded uh, pure play uh, ag, ag company. And uh, a lot's happened since then, uh, but we've got an amazing team and we're, uh, we're executing really well in the marketplace. OK, so can you tell, because it's your first time on, uh, we want to talk about crop protection as a business and seed as a business, because you're number one in seed. Crop protection is a bit of a battle. But uh, if you can just tell us where the, what it means, a pipeline, how it influences you, what, what the science means. Yeah, I think you've, what you've hit on is one of the key strategic advantages that we have going forward. It's the strong foundation around technology and innovation in our pipeline. You know, I think we have a product lineup uh, second to none. On the seed side, uh, we have strong market shares in corn and soybeans and canola, uh, rice around the world, uh, and crop protection, especially those products used on, on fruits and vegetables, insecticides and fungicides. You know, we, we enjoy a real strength and our traditional strength in herbicides and crops like, uh, like wheat and, and corn and beans. So one of the things you also take away is we're a very diverse company. Uh, we sell into fourteen. We sell seeds in fourteen different crops uh, and in a, and, and chemistry in a, over one hundred and forty countries uh, around the world. So uh, a real strength with that with that pipeline and that product lineup in seed and chemistry. Now, see, when I uh, went over your numbers, I thought they were really good. And then I, I did admit, I have to admit, that I got a little confused about pulling of guidance because I think you're one of those companies that has so many things going for it. I mean, you know, it's an election year, so the farmers get get a bail. Usually they do well. Uh, maybe things will simmer down with China. Brazil's not that big with the real. Uh, and I'm looking for something that would be a core holding away from the cyclical character of deer. Right. So you're right, Jim. We had a strong first quarter, 16% rise in net sales, uh, double-digit growth essentially in every region around the world, and 53% uh, EBITDA growth uh, going forward. And uh, what I've said before, you know, we're really demonstrating the strengths, uh, uh, our key competitive advantages that we have of our portfolio, but also our distribution system, that unmatched connection that we have with, with farmers. 
Add to that this very strong company-wide focus on operational excellence. Uh, and, and then we just support growers and food security um, all around the world. So we're, uh, we're carrying strong momentum into, into second quarter. Uh, and probably the main reason is we look to the second half and, and, and out of caution, uh, taking a pause on guidance was really related to mostly currency and heavily affected by the Brazilian RAI. So uh, we've immediately pivoted. We've put some strong pricing programs in place to try to cover part of that currency impact. Um, we've got new hedging uh, techniques that we're deploying to help cover some of that. Um, I've got my team all around the world looking at additional cost productivity. We've talked about adding another $100 million worth of uh, worth of cost productivity. Uh, and then, like I said, we're a very diverse business, so we're going to go chase new business opportunities in other areas of the world that maybe aren't as currency affected. So I would say that by the end of 2020, I would hope to cover a majority of the impact, but it's just a little too uncertain right now to call exactly what that Brazilian rei is going to be in November when it really matters the most to us. Got it. Got it. Now, how about uh, the flood in Midland? Where are we with, uh, with your operation? Yeah, thank you for asking a horrible 500-year flood. Uh, biggest impact right now, uh, clearly um, operations were shut down out of abundance of safety and caution, and our teams are uh, evaluating uh, the, the impact of that. Um, only 1% of our second half revenue is dependent on any of the products uh, that come out of Midland. So as far as uh, uh, 2020 goes, we, we would expect you know a minimal impact. Give me a few days. Let those teams uh, understand the full impact of, of to our operating units. But as we sit here right now, the water crested lower than we expected. The the impact on the units was less. And my biggest concern right now is is for our employees. We've had over 400 uh, of our Corteva colleagues that were directly affected in their homes uh, in the city of Midland. And we're going to work awful hard to make sure they're taken care of as well. Okay, uh, one last thing. It matters tremendously uh, the price of corn. Uh, the, it, there is a uh, a lowering of gasoline that has to impact uh, ethanol. What is the way it works with Corteva? Right. So, you, as you know, Jim, we're, we uh, we supply a large majority of the corn seed in in the northern um, hemisphere, and that's based on our product performance and 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 the way um, our our germplasm and our traits. Uh, have interacted together. So, you know, we felt really good about planting season here of 2020, and we've got a good crop going in the ground, but we need to see how that crop performs uh, here this year. And then we're going to have two more seasons to look at uh, crop performance in Latin America before we come back around to trying to predict what commodity prices are going to be in, in going into 2021. The ethanol industry is clearly a, a big impact for that. They grind a lot of corn, we're seeing some um, actually encouraging news out of the transport industry that as this recovery might be mm. coming back a little right. faster than everyone expected, people driving more cars, using more ethanol, that, uh, that, uh, um, that blend requirement um, will really help open these ethanol plants back up. Another thing to watch for, there's not a lot of industry storage of ethanol. So as gasoline demand comes back, those ethanol plants are going to have to get up and run uh, pretty quickly. Well, that's a pretty good story. I know you had to withdraw the guidance, but I think longer term, you've got a lot of things going for you, Jim. You really do. Thank great. you so much Thanks. for coming on Mad Money. It's always great to see you. Thank you. It's always great to see you, too. Okay, Thanks, that, Jim. That's Jim Collins, Corteva. Uh, he's the CEO, CTBA. This is a much better stock to own, I believe, than Deer if you want to play the ultimate long-term food industry in general. Mad Money's back everybody. 
next on Markets in Turmoil. Former Chicago Mayor Rahm Emanuel, what our cities might look like post-pandemic. Plus, what one local Miami brewer is seeing now that he's reopened. And the steps one company and more than a dozen hospital systems are taking to deal with future shortages of PPE. All with my friend Scott Wapner. Okay, look, when you have these big rotations, they tend not to end in the morning. They tend to end midday. So if you're playing the rotation, be aware that if there's a reversal, it's going to come midday, not each day. Don't be surprised if these same stocks open up again. That is a typical pattern that I've seen for the 40 years that I've been on Wall Street. Like I said, as always, in bull market summer, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.